0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله بعد in the Hassan al Kalam, Kalamullah, Khair al Huda, Huda Muhammadin Sallallahu Lahu Ali, was Wa But in the Sharral Umuri Muhta to her, Wakulla Muhta Timbida, Wakulla Bida Tin Dolala, Wakulla Dolala Tin Finar. So today we move on to the next line in the poetry al ascribed to Sheikhul Islam Ibn Taimiyah, and in this statement, the Sheikh says, "وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ يَرَوْنَ حَقَّ رَبّهُمْ وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ يَرَوْنَ حَقَّ رَبّهُمْ وَإِلَى السَّمَايِ بِغَيْرِ كَيْفِينَ يَنْزِلُ." This translates as roughly that the believers will will see their Lord. The believers will see their Lord in truth, meaning in the hereafter. And to the heaven does he descend without designating a how, without specifying how. So in this line of poetry, there are two great and mighty aspects of the belief of Ahlu sunnati Wal Jama'ah two great and mighty mighty issues of belief. And these two issues are known as the Ru'ya, the Ru'ya, which means the vision, which means the believers seeing their Lord on Yomul Qiyamah. And the second one, An-Nuzul, An-Nuzul, which means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala descending to the lowest Heaven, as we find mentioned in many of the a hadith which are reported by A large number of the Companions So these two issues Notice that these two issues If you pick up any book of creed From the second Third, fourth centuries The books that were written by the salaf By the imams of the salaf In that time period You will find that these are The major issues Two of the major issues That The focus is put around The issue of the Ru'ya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Seeing Allah The issue of the Nuzul In fact, there are two Of maybe four major issues Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Being above His creation Which is Al-Ulu The Ulu of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Secondly, the Ru'ya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah being seen Allah will be seen in the hereafter The third is the Uh, The Nuzul that we mentioned that is mentioned in this poetry and the fourth is the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the speech of Allah which is the Quran and that we discussed in the in the previous uh, lessons. So you will find that these four topics are mentioned in detail and they are the, the, the main focus Of what we find written in in, in the books, written by the Salaf, authored by the Salaf in that time period, in the 2nd century, in the 3rd century. So, before we move on to go to the explanation of this belief, the Ru'ya, we will deal with the Ru'ya first in this lesson and the next lesson, inshallah ta'ala. Before we look into uh, these two aspects of belief, the Ru'ya of Allah and the Nuzul, we need to understand why did there appear groups who denied these aspects of belief and what was the what's the reason behind it and what are the arguments behind it because one of the important things of understanding the belief of Ahlul sunnah wal Jama'ah is to understand and know the origins what was the reason for a particular thing why did why did a group come along and say such and such and then why did uh, another saying. Why did this saying arise, and who said it? And this is one of the points that is made, as we mentioned before, by Sheikh Salih Al Sheikh, He said that a person cannot really, he said in meaning, that a person cannot really grasp and fathom the Aqidah of the Salaf and know the sayings until he understands the saying of each faction, each party, why they said what they said. And, you know, then he will understand the significance of what he is reading in the books of the Salaf. Why did this Imam say this? What was it, what was it a response to? And in this way, he gains an understanding. To give you one quick illustration before we move forward. when, when the, If we look at the Bidah of the Khawarij and the Bidah of the Murji'ah. Okay. The Khawarij, as you know, they came along and they declared a Muslim to be a disbeliever. On account of major sins On account of sins that he committed Right So they declared them They declared a Muslim who committed major sins Who never made tawbah, who died upon that They said that this person is a disbeliever Who will remain in the hellfire forever Okay So these are the khawarij in the time of Ali Radiallahu anhu Now, if we move A decade or two, three decades later on uh, Maybe more than that Four or five decades further on there came another group of people and they looked at the saying of the khawarij and they said this this saying can't be right this thing isn't right how can we how can, how can we declare muslims who have iman who who have the foundations of iman in their hearts how can we declare them to be to be non-muslims and so what they reasoned in the mind they said well wait a minute the reason why those people are expelling them from islam is on account of the outward actions the actions that we see of righteousness and the actions of disobedience so so sinful people they fall into actions of disobedience and they do not fulfill the actions of obedience they don't fulfill the obligations so those people are declaring muslims to be disbelievers on account of the people falling short in their actions right because the prayer is from action leaving intoxicants is from action Giving charity is from uh, Sorry the the zakah The obligatory zakah is from action right Keeping away from lying and false speeches from action So they figured that hang on This problem seems to be To do with actions Because they are treating actions To be from faith That's why they are expelling people outside of Islam So then they said wrongly Hold on Actions can't be from iman Actions cannot be from faith And this way, we've we've resolved the problem. Because if a Muslim, if a believer, has the foundations of Iman in his heart, he believes in Allah, the angels, the books, the messengers, and so on and so forth, right? and then outwardly he leaves those actions, he still remains a believer. He still remains a believer. So actions, therefore, cannot be from faith. Actions are not from faith. Faith is just what you believe in the heart. And so therefore, actions do not increase nor decrease. And then there were other statements that followed on from this. So, this is how the bid'ah of the Murgia came to be, as a reaction to the bid'ah of the Khawarij. And when you look at many of the innovations which occurred, you find that they occurred in response to previous innovations. And the underlying principle is that they, that they refuted falsehood, they refuted one bidda with another bid'ah Okay, and this is, this is not from our way, rather we, we, we refute falsehood with the texts of the Quran and the Sunnah and the understanding of, of the Sahaba and we avoid, you know, inventing uh, something, uh, another falsehood in order to counter an early falsehood. So the point being here that once we understand that historically, this is how many of these innovations came about in that we see a false saying, And someone refuting that false saying with another false saying. And then someone else comes and refutes that false saying with another false saying. And so this is how we see all the bidhas in in terms of uh, Iman, in the subject of Iman, in the subject of the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the subject of Al-Qadr. So we, we have falsehood multiplying in this way. So the point being now here is we want to understand the issue of why is it that people denied these major symbols of our belief, the Ru'ya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Uluw of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Nuzul of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Kalam of Allah being His uncreated Speech. What's What's behind all this? So we move to a passage in the book by Imam Ahmed rahimahullah wa ta'ala, Arraddu ala al-Jahmiyyah, or Arraddu ala al-Zanadik wal-Jahmiyyah. And this is a book that Imam Ahmed wrote in refutation of some of the doubts of the Jahmiyyah. And there's a a beneficial passage in this book in which he mentions a story about Al-Jahm bin Safwan. Al-Jahm bin Safwan. And what was the origin behind the bidah that he brought or the numerous innovations that he brought into the Ummah. So he says in his book that from what has reached us of the affair of al-Jahm the enemy of Allah is that he was from the people of Khorasan. Now, Khorasan is a region in present-day Iran towards, you know, Afghanistan that area. And he was from the people of Tirmidh and he was a person of much disputation. Meaning he was a man who was given to argument. This is for, this was from his way. And this trait and this characteristic that Imam Ahmed mentioned here is a trait that we find that he prohibited in another one of his works, Usul al Sunnah, where he mentions that the fundamental principles of the Sunnah with us are is to stick to what the companions were upon and to avoid innovation and to avoid disputation and argumentation in the religion. Right? So he, he mentioned this to be from the foundations of the Sunnah, that we do not involve in debate and argument and wrangling and so on and so forth. Like this is not from, the way, from our particular way. Rather, we establish the truth, we speak the truth from the book and the sunnah, and this is from our way. So anyway, this man, he was given to argument. It was from his way to argue, to argue with this group and that group and this group and that group. So what happened, Imam Ahmad says, that he met a people from amongst the disbelievers who were called the Sumaniyah. The Sumaniyah refers to a group of, they were Hindu-struck Buddhists. Hindus, stroke Buddhists, their origin was from India. And these were a philosophical people, a philosophical people. And he came to them and they agreed to have an argument. And the agreement was, they said to him, we will argue with you. And if we overcome you, if our proof overcomes you, then you will enter our religion. And... If your proof, your argument overcomes us, we will enter your religion. Okay. So, then these people, what they said to him, they began to ask some questions to Al-Jahm bin Safwan. They said to him, do you claim that you have a a deity? Meaning, one that you worship? Meaning, a, a creator that you worship? And Jahm said, yes, I claim this. I claim that there is a Lord, a creator, which I worship. And so they said to him, have you seen your deity? Have you seen him? He said, no. And then they said, have you heard his speech? And he said, no, I haven't heard his speech. And then they said, have you smelt his fragrance? Have you smelt his fragrance? He said, no. They said, have you been able to Touch him. And he said no. Then they said, Have you been able to perceive him with any of the senses? So what they're doing is they're going through each of the each of the senses, the, the hearing, uh, sorry, the, the seeing, the hearing, uh, the touch, the, the smell. So they're going through all the senses. And he says, No, <coughs> I have perceived him with any of the senses. So then they said to him. So how do you know then that he's your deity? How, how have you come to know him? You've got no knowledge that he is, is a deity. Now, what these people are really doing is that they're really playing a trick, which is a trick that we see all of the philosophers, philosophers using right until this day of ours. Right, this, this trick is, or they claim, that only that exists which we can perceive With the senses right? If you look at all of the atheists even In our time in, in, in the last century This is a claim that they make That only what we can observe And quantify And experiment with Only that exists Everything else doesn't exist right? So this is something like It's, it's a doubt that's, that's you know, Remained and it continues to be used by atheist philosophers Even in this time, in this time of ours But these people really played a trick on him. They made him believe, they made him believe that only that can exist which we can perceive with the senses. Otherwise, it doesn't exist. Right? So they tricked him into believing that that's what they were saying. Okay. So they confused him. He became really confused. He he became so confused that he didn't know what he was worshipping. And as is mentioned in some of the narrations, he abandoned praying for 40 days. As Imam al Bukhari mentions in his book Khalq Af'al al Ibad that Al jahm he abandoned prayer for forty days because he was confused, he didn't know what he was worshipping. These people they confused him. He didn't know who didn't know who his deity was or whether he had a deity, because he you know he couldn't prove to them that his deity existed. So then he sat in his house and he started thinking. And uh, he knew that these people, these Uh, Buddhists, they believed in a soul, because these Buddhists they used to believe that the soul exists and the soul moves from one body to another body. They call this is a doctrine. They call it uh, a tanasukh, tanasukh al-arwah, which means transmigration of souls. Souls they move from a body to another. So he thought about all of this. He sat in his house and eventually he. Developed a response in his mind And this response was was from his own intellect He developed a way to to respond to these people So the response that he thought of in his mind was That just like the Christians believe That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes as a spirit And he enters people As in Isa alayhi salam And then he speaks by way of them and, you know, he speaks by way of them. So then he commands them and he prohibits them. So he's a spirit, but he can't actually be seen with the eyes of the people. Right. So he thought about this and then he found a way to respond to those sumaniyya. How to respond to the argument that they brought. So then he came back when he thought about this, this concept. He came back and he came back to them and he said to them, OK, let's let's debate now. So he said to one of these people, he said, do you believe that there is a spirit inside of you? There's a soul or a spirit inside of you because these people believe in a spirit. And so the one, so this so many, he said, yes, I believe that there is a spirit in me. So then Jaham said, have you seen your spirit? And obviously the answer is no, he hasn't seen his spirit. He said, have you, have you heard its speech? And the somebody said, no, I haven't heard its speech. And then he said, have you, have you, you know, have you uh, tasted it? Have you touched it? Have you perceived it with the senses? So he's asked, put, putting the same questions back that they used to confuse him. So obviously the answer is going to be no. No, we, we haven't perceived our soul. We haven't seen our soul. We haven't heard the speech of the soul. We haven't tasted the soul. We haven't touched the soul. So he said, so, so now, obviously, now you understand the point. He's, he's now counted them in argument. And he said, thus is Allah. Thus is Allah. Allah has no face that can be seen, has no voice that can be heard, no fragrance that can be smelt, He's absent from the people's vision. He's not in any one place exclusive to another. Right. So on this foundation, now he instituted the deen of the Jahmiyyah. This is the deen of the Jahmiyyah now. And so then he used the ayah in the Quran, In falsehood. The ayah in the Quran is, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ He used this ayah thinking that it is the basis for his religion. Now, how did he explain this ayah? He explained this ayah in the following ways. He said that Allah is not like anything whatsoever. Absolutely. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is in every place just as he's above the throne he's beneath the throne no, no place no place is absent of him and he's not in any one space, place exclusive to another he's not spoken he's never spoken nor does he speak he's not looked at anyone towards the world nor will he nor will he in the hereafter he's not described with anything meaning Allah has no descriptions whatsoever and he's not known by any attribute he has no attributes nor does he have any action he doesn't perform any actions he cannot be grasped by the intellect and when we look in the creation and we see knowledge Allah's knowledge is all of the creation meaning Allah doesn't have knowledge but knowledge his knowledge is just what we see in the creation his face is just the whole of the creation. His uh, seeing is what we see in the creation. His hearing is everything we hear in the creation. Right? In this way, he explained. And then he says, he doesn't have a color or a body. He's not known. He's not understood. And everything you imagine in your heart, which is considered to be a thing, then he is different to it. Right? So this is how we interpreted this ayah. In other words, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is his argument to these people that Allah exists, He exists in everything, yet he cannot be perceived by any of the senses. He can't be seen, can't be heard, can't be, can't be pointed at, can't be in any direction or location. Right? So you understand the general idea that he is is that he that, he, that coming with. Now, if you come with this general idea, and this is this is the description of the deity you believe in after having proved that he exists. Because remember, he's now, as he sees it, he's, he's, he's proven that a deity exists to these uh, Hindu, you know, Somaniyyah. In his mind, he's proved that a deity exists, right? Because he's counted the argument. But by the very nature of the argument he's used, what type of deity are you believing in? You You've believed in a deity that you've described with such descriptions that it actually amounts to non-existence. He's not in the universe, not outside the universe, he has no attributes, has no action, not above the throne, or he, in fact he's in every place. Right? He's, you, you bring in these descriptions, but this description that you're you are bringing is actually of something that is impossible for it to exist. Right? So now on this basis, he began to deny what we find in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, Of those symbols of belief that we mentioned. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can't be above the throne. Why? Because if he's above the throne, we've given him a direction, and a direction necessitates that he must be in a place, and a place necessitates that he must be a body, and now we've likened him to all of the bodies that we see in the universe. Therefore Allah is not above his throne, he's not above the creation. And if Allah speaks, if Allah speaks with speech that can be heard, then this means that Allah, there, there, there is a change taking place in His essence. Like changes take place in our essences, in our bodies. And this cannot be affirmed for Allah, because that would make Allah to be like all the things that undergo change in this, in this creation. So Allah cannot have speech. The Qur'an cannot be Allah's speech. The Qur'an must be something created. And uh, likewise, the, 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 our topic now, Allah cannot be seen. Allah cannot be seen. If Allah if Allah was to be seen, then it would mean that He's in a direction. And if he's in a direction, he's in a place. And if he's in a place, then he's in, in, you know he's occupying a place. And this means he's a body. And you know, this cannot be affirmed for Allah subhanahu so you get the general idea. So on this basis, he began to deny all of Allah's names, all of Allah's attributes, Allah's speech, the Quran being Allah's speech and created, Allah being uh, above his throne, Allah being seen in the hereafter with the vision of the eyes, and he denied all of these affairs. Right. This is what the Salaf began to speak about at the beginning of the second century Hijrah 110, 120, at the very beginning, the likes of uh, Al Wahab bin Munabbih, he began to speak about Al Jahm. And then we had uh, Imam Al-Zuhri, Ayub al All these Imams in that early period, they began to speak about these, about these issues uh, when the Jahmiyyah began to, began to arise. So here, when we see al Islam, Ibn Tayyum he says, That the believers will see their Lord in truth. In truth. And to the lowest heaven will he descend without asking how. He is affirming this particular belief of Ahlus Sunnati wal Jama'ah. And so we move now to the explanation of uh, the brief explanation of Shaykh Saleh al Sahimi. Then we'll go into more detail, inshallah ta'ala. So the Shaykh he begins by saying that there are two issues here, obviously the issue of the Ru'ya uh, and the issue of the Nuzul. The issue of Allah, uh, seeing of Allah And the issue of Allah, Allah's descent He says, as for the first one It is the issue of seeing the creator and the maker Ru'yatul Bari, subhanahu wa ta'ala And it, it, there's an expression of the belief here Which is the belief of all of Ahlu Sunati wal Jama'ah That the believers will see their Lord On Yawmul Qiyamah They will see their Lord just like we are able to see the moon on a clear night. Or just like we can see the sun on a day in which there is no clouds. Just like we have no difficulty in seeing the sun and the moon. Likewise, in a like manner, our vision will be the same. There will be no, uh, there will be no difficulty in seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, on yawmul qiyamah. This is the belief of Ahlul sunnati wal Jama'ah without exception. Without exception However there are a number of groups There are four groups Who denied this uh, belief And uh, There are four groups Who denied it outright And there are some other groups Who when you investigate into their saying They appear to affirm The Ru'ya of Allah But in reality they don't affirm The Ru'ya of Allah So those four groups who deny The Ru'ya of Allah They are the Jahmiyyah the followers of al-jahm bin safwan as we mentioned and likewise the mu'tazila because the mu'tazila they took this belief from the jahmiya and then after them the rafida the rafida shi'a and likewise there were the khawarij the groups of the khawarij who came afterwards they also adopted the saying of the jahmiya so these people uh, these people the sheikh says that it is, it is befitting that anyone who denies that Allah will be seen in the hereafter, that he himself should be denied seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You get, you, make, you get the point. He's saying that if these groups, these astray groups are saying Allah will not be seen, then these people themselves are the most worthy of people who will be veiled from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the hereafter. As Allah himself says in the Qur'an, Allah says in Surah Al-Mutaffifeen, the 83rd Surah, verse number uh, 15. But no, they will be wo- they will be veiled from their Lord on that day. Allah, He's speaking about a certain group of people that they will be veiled, they will not see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Shaykh is saying that these people are worthy. If you're going to deny that Allah will be seen, then you are the most worthy of people, of yourselves being veiled from Allah and not being able to see your Lord. So, uh, the shaykh says, just like they will be veiled from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then likewise, Allah's anger will be upon them as well. Not only will you be veiled, but Allah's anger will be upon you as well. Why? Because when we look, in the other verses in the Quran that speak of Allah being seen, then those verses are mentioned in the context of Allah being pleased with those believers so a believer seeing Allah the believer feels pleasure and Allah is, Allah is pleased with them and as for a person being veiled from Allah not being able to see Allah that is because Allah is angry with them right so these two things are connected seeing Allah pleasure of Allah. Being veiled from Allah, the anger of Allah upon you. These two things are connected. So if these people are going to be veiled from Allah, it means the anger of Allah is upon them as well. So the shaykh says that this is the belief of Ahlul Sunati Wal without exception. And the believers will see the Lord in reality. Meaning that we will actually see our Lord. But how our Lord is, we don't know. We don't have that knowledge. We do not know how his essence is. And we do not know how his attributes are. So we affirm the seeing in principle, but we deny any reality of how he is and how his essence is. And this is the ijma of the ummah. All of the ummah is unanimously agreed upon this. And as for those groups and those sects that we mentioned, the Jahmeed and the Mutazila, then they simply speak with their own opinions, their own ideas, their own philosophies, as we mentioned, like Jahm bin Safwan. How did he come to his saying? He said it on the basis of, you know, uh, uh, false, corrupt argumentation with these Hindus and these Buddhists that he was that he was arguing with. So the Shaykh then says that we will mention here very briefly a proof from the Quran and a proof from the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and. Uh, also mention the fact that this is from Ijma' and in fact what we'll do because this overlaps because many of these proofs are going to overlap inshallah we'll quickly summarize the, the various proofs that Ahlu Sunnah bring with respect to this belief and so we'll turn to uh, a book of Ibn Al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala. Ibn Al-Qayyim has a book hadi al arwah ila bilad Al-Afraah This is one of the books of Ibn al-Qayyim where he's speaking generally about paradise and all of the great aspects of paradise, how it was created and and, and the reward and so on and so forth. And within this book, he has a section where he deals with the believers seeing their Lord in the hereafter. And in this section, he brings all of the different types of proofs in the Quran. There are six, seven different types of proof in the Quran itself which established this, this belief, that the believers will see the Lord. And this section of the book has been taken and published in a separate little work, which you see this book here, Al-Bayan Wal-Idah li aqidati Ahli Sunnati Wal-Jama'a Fi-Ru'yat-Illahi Al-Qiyamah And this has been compiled by the Shaykh and the Alama Rabi' Ibn Hadi Al-Madkhani Hafizahullah Ta'ala. And so what we'll do is, we, to, to, to summarize the proofs of Ahl-Sunnah, we'll just take the relevant sections from this book. So, we begin, and there's a, a great and mighty statement right at the beginning of Ibn Al-Qayyim, that we should mention and translate. Uh, he begins, Ibn Al-Qayyim, by saying, هذا Khataran. So he says, this topic, this, uh, this uh, chapter here that we're discussing now, meaning to do with seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is the most loftiest, noblest topics of the book, or the chapters of the book. It is the most loftiest of them in terms of the, 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 the status and the worth, and the greatest of them. And he says, they are the most pleasurable, it is the most pleasurable, In the eyes of the the Ahlul Sanati Wal Jama'ah, meaning, this topic is a topic that when we speak of it, it is of great pleasure to our eyes that we speak about this topic. Why? Because it is speaking of the greatest pleasure that there can ever be, which is seeing Allah in the hereafter. A person, he lives his life for 60-70 years, living on this life, and then he you know he he sees the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he has the, the, the favours and the bounties of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he tastes them, he benefits from them, and he worships this Lord that he believes in, but only being, ab- being able to see his creation. And then he anticipates on Yawmul Qiyamah, when his body is resurrected and he's raised again from the dead, and he anticipates that he wants to see he, he wants to see this Lord. And this is the greatest of the pleasures. And for that reason, so pay attention to what he said that this is the, the, the most pleasurable. And he says that to Sunnah, it is the, the, the thing that does the greatest of pleasure in the eyes to speak about this issue. Because this is what we anticipate and what we, what, what we wish for. But it is the, the most severe upon the people of Bida and Dalala. That's why when you see like the Jahmiya, it is a topic they detest. The Mu'tazila, it is a topic that they detest. The Khawarij, the Rafida likewise. And likewise, those people who claim to believe in the Ru'ya in wording, but in reality, they deny it. Meaning the Ash'aris and the Maturidis. They say, yes, Allah will be seen, but not in a direction. Right, So they affirm it in one sentence. Yes, Allah will be seen. And then they deny it in the next sentence. Yes, but not in, a, not in a direction. What do you mean not in a direction? the contradiction. So likewise, those people, it's something that when we bring this topic up, and we mention the ayat, and we mention the proofs in the Quran, that we'll look at later, in the sunnah, sorry, that we we'll look at later on, you find these people, it's very hard and heavy upon these people. Why? Because there is bid'ah in their hearts. There is bid'ah in their minds. Okay, so their their the, the hearts and minds are not pure, and so they don't have a pure vision with respect to this particular topic. So he says, "Wa aqroha li'ayuni ahlus Sunnat wal Jama'a wa ashadhaa ala al Biday wa that the most pleasurable of of topics to the eyes of Ahlul Sunnat wal Jama'a and the most severest upon ahlul Biday wa And he says, "Wa hi al Ghayt alati Shammara ilayha al Mushmiron." This is the objective, this is the objective for which those people, and then he uses a word, he uses the word, al-mushammirun, al-mushammirun, this word it means, like when somebody he goes out and he embarks upon a task, then he does it by rolling up his sleeves like this, and he embarks upon the task. This is the meaning of al-mushammir, the one who, you know, who goes and moves into a task. So he says, wahi al ghaya أَلَّتِي شَمَّرَ إِلَيْهَا الْمُشَمِّرُونَ This is the objective to which those who are earnest and who are serious, they roll up their sleeves and they rush towards this, you know, the, the seeking and pursuing this goal. And he says, And it is the goal for which those who compete, those who are in competition with each other, that they compete for, meaning that they compete for wanting to see Allah. وَتَسَابَقَ and those who race each other, they race towards this goal, meaning racing with each other.. And for its like, for the like of this great goal, then let those who act then let them act. And then he says, this is such a goal.. This is such a goal. That when the, when when the people who the people of paradise, when they attain this vision of Allah, they will forget every bliss and every reward they are already tasting in paradise, right? And then he says, then he says, وهرمانه والحجاب عنه لأهل الجهيم عليهم من أذاب الجهيم. He says, and being prevented, and being veiled from Allah. To the people of paradise, that this punishment is more severe upon them than the punishment they're already tasting in the fire. You understand? That they're already being punished in the fire. And to be no to be to be informed and to be told that you will be veiled and never see your Lord, this is an even greater intense punishment upon them, and more severe upon them, than actually being punishment, than, than the actual physical punishment they're already going through. And then he says. إِتَّفَقَ عَلِيْهَا الْأَنْبِيَاءُ وَالْمُرْسَلُونَ The prophets and the messengers are united upon this, this belief. وَجَمِيعُ الصَّحَابَةِ Tabiun And all of the Sahaba, وَجَمِيعُ الصَّحَابَ Tabiun All of the Sahaba and the Tabi'un. وَأَإِمَّةُ الْإِسْلَامِ وَلَا تَتَابُعِ الْقُرُونَ And likewise, all of the leading scholars of Islam in the passing of successive generations. وَعَنْكَرَهَا But the people of innovation, the, the, the deserters, those who abandon, al- الْمُتَحَوِّكُونَ Those confused, bewildered jahmites They denied. وَالْفِرْعَوْنِيَّةُ الْمُعَتِّلُونَ And likewise, those Fir'aunic people who are the ones who are the deniers. Likewise, al الباطنية. Those Ba'atiniyyah, those who are stripped of every type of religion. They don't have a religion. You know, there's a a sect called the Ba'atiniyyah. And likewise the Rafida, those who are, they hold on to the ropes of the Shaitan. That's what they're holding on to. They too deny the Ru'ya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَعَلَى مَسَبَّتِ أَسْحَابِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ عَاكِفُونَ Those who revolve around revilment of the companions of Allah's Messenger, meaning the Rafidah still. وَلِسْسُنَّةِ وَأَهْلِهَا مُحَارِبُونَ And who wage war against the Sunnah and its people. وَلِكُلِّ عَدُوِّ لِلَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ وَدِينِهِ مُسَال- مُسَالِمُونَ And those who show peace. With Every enemy of Allah And his messenger And his deen Meaning still describing The rafidah That this is from Their characteristics That they that Alongside the enmity Towards the sahaba uh, uh, and Alongside the enmity Towards the sunnah They They uh, They they, they, uh, they have Allegiances And peace Towards everyone Who is an enemy Of Allah And his messenger He says All of these people That we've mentioned Including these sects All of them Will be veiled from their Lord. They will not see their Lord. and they will be repelled from the, you know, from the gate, from the gate of Paradise. And they are the They are the people, factions of misguidance. They are the cursed groups and sects. Wa rasul, and they are the enemies of the Messenger, and the Hizb of the Messenger, meaning the, the believers. So this is a great introduction by which he introduced the, the topic of the Ru'ya uh, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And uh, we come to the next issue that Ibn al-Qayyim uh, discusses, and we'll just quickly summarize it uh, in, in, in brief. And this is one of the proofs. To show that to be able to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Is actually possible in the hereafter And the proof that is used By ahl Sunnah wal-Jama'ah Is mentioned by Ibn Al-Qayyim And he says Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has informed us About the most knowledgeable Of the creation of Him Of Allah in His time and he is وَهُوَ كَلِيمُهُ وَنَجِيٌّهُ وَصَفِيٌّهُ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْأَرْضِ. And he is his the one who he spoke to, his chosen one from the people of the earth. That he asked his Lord to be able to see him. I Meaning, he's speaking about Musa alaihissalam. Musa Aleyhissalam, He asked Allah to reveal Himself to, to him to, to, to Musa. So he said, "فَقَالَ لَهُ رَبُّهُ تَبَارَكَ وتعالى. So, so Allah Subhanahu wa Taala he responded to Musa because Musa made a request. So Allah responded to him. He said, Allah's response was, Allah says, "You will not be able to see me." However, look at that. This mountain, and if the mountain remains in its place, then you will be able to see me. And if it doesn't remain in its place, and then Allah, then when Allah revealed Himself to the mountain, then the mountain turned into uh, turned into 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 dust and wasn't able to handle the the the, the you know the, the the vision of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So from this ayah, there are numerous proofs. There are numerous numerous things that we take from this uh, uh, ayah. And the first of them is that because Musa he made this request, he actually asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be able to see him, then to claim that Musa Musa islam asked something which was impossible, then this is false. This is we are now suspecting, and in effect we are reviling Musa al-Islam for asking Allah Subhanahu wa Taala for something which He already knows to be impossible. Right? So this cannot be the case. Musa al-Islam would never ha- have asked Allah Subhanahu wa Taala if he knew it was impossible. Right? This is the first point that we take from this from this ayah, from this ayah. And Ibn al-Qayyim says that anyone who claims Anyone who claims, um, you know, he, he basically, he likens them to the, 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 the Greek sprouts, the sprouts of the Greeks and the sprouts of the philosophers and those people like, you know, like them. And, uh, uh, you know, he, he basically refutes those people and he says that it's impossible that Musa al-Islam would ask Allah for something which is impossible. So this is the first point that we need to note from this ayah The second point is That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never rejected his question Allah never showed rebuke against him For asking the question in the, in the first place We don't find this in the ayah And if it had been impossible For Allah to be seen Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have rejected this against Musa And told him that this is impossible this is, this isn't, it's, 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 it's an invalid question However, uh, we see that uh, the same with Ibrahim When Ibrahim والسلام, when he asked Allah to show him how he gives life to the dead, Allah didn't, didn't reject the question upon Ibrahim And likewise, when Isa ibn Maryam, when he asked him to send down the table, from the sky of the of, of with with the feast with the with the with the banquet, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala never never rejected the question, never rejected the question. However, however, when Nuh عليه salam asked Allah Subhanahu wa Taala with respect to his son to save his son, then Allah rejected that question. So look at how Allah Subhanahu wa Taala he rejected all these th- the question uh, he rejected this question sorry this one question. Of Nuh al-Islam. We'll look at all those other questions from those other prophets. From Ibrahim alayhi From Isa alayhi And from Musa alayhi He didn't reject the actual question. right? So this obviously shows to you that this is not uh, something that is impossible you know, for, for Allah to be seen. That's the second point to uh, note. And the third point is that when... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says lan tarani lan tarani you will not see me you will never see me or you will not see me it means you will not be able to handle seeing me right you will not your faculties will not be able to handle seeing me this is the meaning of lan tarani because this word this this uh, particle in the arabic language lan some of the people think it means Never in eternity And this is a mistake in the Arabic language It doesn't actually mean that in the Arabic language So uh, this is the uh, third point It means that, that you will not be able to handle uh, seeing me The fourth point is That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He directed him to the mountain And said look at this mountain If this mountain remains in its place Then you will be able to see me what is the point being made here in this ayah? The point being made in this ayah is that look at this mountain, the mountain alongside it being made of stone and being weighty and being powerful and you know being as it is, even this mountain will not be able to hold its place in the life of this world. So how then will a human who is made of flesh and whatever else, how will he be able to handle the vision? He can't handle the vision. So this is the, this is the, the lesson in, in the ayah. In other words, that you will not be able to handle the vision. You will not be able to see me. Okay, this is the actual point being made in the ayah. The fifth thing is that, uh, that, that, we, that we make from this as well is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is... that when, when, he, when he gives this example of, of, of the mountain, then at the same time, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to, He could make the mountain in such a way that the mountain would be able to handle the vision. Right? This is all, this is also within Allah's qudra. right? He could make the mountain to be in that way. So the point being here is that even the Ru'ya, as it relates to the mountain, it is still possible if Allah will to make the mountain in a way that it could actually handle the vision of Allah and Allah revealing Himself to the mountain. You'd, so so even in the example given in the ayah, it does not mean that the mountain is also denied for the mountain. No, because this comes down to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creating things with those faculties and abilities that allow them to handle. The, the vision of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So even with respect to the mountain, it is still possible for Allah to reveal Himself to the mountain and for Him to allow the mountain to to handle that that uh, uh, to handle that vision. So that's another thing that we should also uh, you know uh, take from the ayah that Ibn Al Qayyim mentions regarding the ayah. Then he says uh, the sixth point is. That Allah says, So then when Allah revealed Himself to the, to the mountain, then it made He made him, it made it to be like uh, you know like like dust. And Ibn al-Qaim says that this is the most clearest of proofs, this part here, that it is possible and permissible for Allah to be seen. Why? Because if Allah if it is permissible that Allah would reveal himself to a mount to a mountain which is an inanimate object it's an inanimate object there's no reward or punishment for a mountain a mountain isn't you know tasked with anything it will not get rewarded or punished so if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he revealed himself to a mountain and in fact Allah actually revealed himself to a the mountain then how can it be impossible for Allah to reveal himself to his prophets and to his messengers and to his awliya, and to the, to the inhabitants of paradise, and for him not to show himself to them, how can that be impossible? Uh, how can that be impossible this cannot be, this cannot be correct, so therefore, by way of this in this ayah, when Allah says that he actually did reveal himself to the mountain and the mountain uh, uh, you know turned turn to dust, then that, that means that likewise by the, by the, by the first degree, it must be permissible for Allah also. For him to reveal himself to to his prophets, his messengers, to his awliya, that they actually see him. Meaning in in the hereafter. Because in the hereafter, the bodies will be resurrected in a different way. And they will be able to handle uh, the vision. So this is the sixth angle. Uh, This is the sixth angle that Ibn al Qayyim mentions from uh, the verse. And the seventh point that he mentions as an argument as well is that Musa Al-Islam is a person whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke to. He spoke to. And Musa Al-Islam, he heard the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly. And so if Musa Islam can hear if, hear if hearing him if hearing him is possible, then to be able to see him is likewise possible is likewise possible so if we use the hearing of Allah's speech then we can use that to indicate that to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is even more is even more you know is something that should be accepted as well and likewise these two things are connected in terms of affirming and denying if you deny that Allah's speech can be heard you've got to deny that Allah can be can can can, can be seen and in fact this goes back remember to the the bid'ah of Jahm bin Safwan remember we said at the beginning Right, he denied that the senses can perceive Allah. He can't be seen, can't you know? Can't, can't be heard. All of this is tied. So if you if you deny that Allah can be heard, you've got to deny that Allah can be seen because the two things are binding. You know, uh, uh, with respect to each other. So if we accept that Allah's speech can be heard, and indeed we know that Musa heard the speech of Allah, and we know that you know in the hereafter Allah will speak and the believers will, will hear the speech, then. This automatically means that to see him is something that is also acceptable and permissible. Therefore. And then he says, when you look at all these people, those groups that we mentioned before, who denied the ru'ya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are the same people who also deny that Allah spoke to Musa. Okay, so they deny the jahmiyah, the Tazila. The Khawarij, the Rafidah, and likewise the Ash'aris and Maturidis—they are the same people who deny Allah's speech, and Musa actually heard the the actual speech of Allah subhanahu wa taala. So notice how these two things are binding and they are connected. So these are seven points, and then he says, as for the as for the issue of Allah saying, "Lan you will not see me," he says, uh, this is only a denial. This is only a denial of a certain period in the future. When he says lan tarani, you will never see me, it only means you will only you will never see me for a period in the future. It doesn't mean for eternity. And this is the, the understanding of the of the particle. Lalan is a negative particle. It negates. It, in English we could say never. But it doesn't mean never never as in eternally never. It just means for a period. It means for a period. This is how this particle is used. So uh, this is the correct understanding uh, of, the, of the ayah So And the proof of this understanding We we'll finish with the, this, this point Is because if someone comes to you and says Look in this verse Allah says It means you will never be able to see me Right Then you answer them with two verses in the Quran there are two verses in the Quran with which you answer them. And you will silence them, Inshallah ta'ala. By the way, this this passage in the in the Quran is Suratul A'raf, Surah 7, verse 143. This this verse that we're looking at, which has all these proofs taken from it. Alright. Okay, so how do you silence these people? If they say Lan Tarani means you will never see me, which means therefore that Allah cannot be seen, then the proof for that is In the in, in, in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says about the Jews in the Quran. He says about the Jews, وَلَن, وَلَن Which means that they will never ever desire death. Oh. So, So in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions about the Yahood وَلَن يَتَمَنَّوهُ أَبَدًا Speaking here about death These people, nev- they will never request death This is in the context of If you people are promised paradise as you claim And you are the chosen ones of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Why don't you people request death then? So you can enter the, the paradise Allah says here, وَلَنْ يَتَمَنَّوهُ أَبَدًا Use the word لَنْ وَلَنْ يَتَمَنَّوهُ أَبَدًا This is Surah Al-Baqarah, Surah 2 verse 95. Surah 2 verse 95. And then, when we see Allah explaining to us that these people are in the fire, the people of the fire are in the fire, now they're actually in the hellfire, we see in another ayah in the Qur'an, Surah Al-Zukhruf, Surah forty-three, verse number seventy-seven. What do they say? Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala He says about them: ya Malik Rabbuk." So now they are in the fire, and they will call out to Malik. Malik is the keeper of the the fire, and they will say, "Oh Malik!" Let your Lord, let him pass judgment upon us. Meaning, meaning, l- let him bring death to us and finish us off. Right? So now in the fire, they will be asking for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they will demand, they will be asking for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to finish them off and just make them perish and finish, no more, no more tasting the punishment. They, now they're wishing for death. Give us death, eternal death. But there will be no eternal death. So in the life of this world, they said, that in the life of this world, Allah said about them, and then when they reach the hereafter they will be asking for, for death. So this proves that the negation using the particle lan does not mean for eternity and never, ever, ever at all. This is a wrong understanding. This is ignorance of the Arabic language. This ignorance of the Arabic language. And then to finish off with, if we go to the specialists of the Arabic language and we go to the you know the the, the books we see in uh, the Al-Kafi Ashafi, which is a famous uh, poetry of Arabic grammar, written by Ibn Malik, who is one of the giants in, in the Arabic uh, language and Arabic grammar. He has a line of poetry in there. He says, "Woman bilan Mu'abbadan." He says, "Whoever thought that negating by way of the particle lan is for eternity." He says فَقَوْلَهُ Which means then reject his saying and hold on to that which is opposite to it. Right? So in other words Len in Arabic language does not mean never, ever, ever, ever for eternity. This is a, a, a wrong claim. Rather it just means for a duration in the future. That's the correct meaning of the word لَن. And so with that what we've established with this one ayah from these points mentioned by Ibn Al-Qayyim, we've established that it is possible for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be seen. We've established that point, right? That it's possible for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, be, to be seen. However, in the life of this world, it is not possible for the people, and likewise even the mountain, for them to, to be able to handle the vision of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they have not been created with the faculties and the powers and the strengths to, to be able to handle that vision. However, in the hereafter, they will see their Lord as established in other verses in the Qur'an. And those proofs we will look at, inshallah ta'ala, systematically in the next lesson. wa ala muhammad wa ala wa sahbihi أَجْمَعِينَ